0: If you were here a month or so ago, you might think that I'm enamored with the royal family, but I'm really not. Uh, I just have been intrigued as I've watched I've watched the scenes this summer of the birth of the, the new prince and all of the stuff that went on with that. And I mentioned a few weeks ago about how, you know, the announcement was taken from the hospital to Buckingham Palace. And what... Uh, I was watching some news program, probably the Today Show or something one morning as all this was unfolding. as before the, the baby had been born. And they were talking about, they were focusing on the door of the hospital. And there's a picture of it right here. This door, this famous door. And out of, eventually out of this door came the person who made the announcement that the baby had been born. And in the next picture you can see just a bit of the crowd of photographers and news people. And I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of people who were cordoned off across the street, all of them focusing on this door. And as they were talking about this and you know, speculating about when the baby would be born and all of that, one of the people on the Today Show said, this is the most watched door in the world. And that light went on for me when I heard that. I oh, thought, that's interesting, the most watched door in the world. That got me thinking about doors. You know, we don't really think a lot about doors until something like that comes up. We don't think a lot about, about what doors might be. We, you know, we're, doors are interesting to us if we, and you can see some pictures here going around of some of the doors of the world. You can even catch a little bit of where the country is as these doors go up. That's what a building made of doors. That's a different kind of doors. <laughs> you know, you, you, you have... the Doors are something we don't think a lot about. Unless someone's chasing you... And you can get behind the door... Or it's really cold... And you close the door off to keep the heat in. How many doors are in your house? Do you know off the top of your head? I'd be surprised. I didn't know. I went, I went home and counted. Nineteen doors... ...in our house. I got curious, so I went around the church... ...and counted how many doors were in the church. I counted 129. That one makes 130. But I got to be honest with you. I was going in and out of rooms. Did I count that door? I can't remember. It's opening to different places, so I, don't hold me to that. We, don't, we just don't think a lot about doors. And yet, what would life be without doors? Doors are important. Both when they're open and when they're shut. One of the things that is interesting about doors is that when a door is closed, we look at it and we wonder what's behind that door. And opening the door is a means of revelation. We see through. And what we—if if we didn't know what was behind it, now we see what's behind it. And as I was thinking about all of this stuff with doors, it struck me that this is... This is an apropos metaphor for epiphany. Epiphany is all about revelation. It is about the manifestation of God. It is about God revealing himself to people through Christ. Dr. Walters talked a lot about that last week. And how Christ comes to reveal who God is. It's important for us to know that. Because we have such skewed views of God. Originally, when God created Adam and Eve, they had a perfect understanding of God. When God spoke, they knew exactly what He meant. When God did something, they interpreted it perfectly. But when sin entered the world, we ended up with, as David Seaman says, damaged receptors. And our antenna by which we understand God and see God and know God and experience God and, and and figure out God become twisted and torn and skewed and broken. God's message is the same. We just can't get it. And God understands that. And so he he goes about trying to help us understand who he is. And so he... Speaks to Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph, Moses. And then he gathers a people around him. He calls a people and says, I'm going to invest myself in this group of people so that the world will know what I'm like. And as they understand me and as they encounter me and as we build a relationship together, the rest of the world will see what I'm like. But they don't get it either. And they reject him. And so God sends prophets to try and help people understand. And they're rejected. And ultimately, God sends Jesus. And Jesus is the perfect revelation, the perfect manifestation of God because he is God. God. And at Christmas, we celebrate the coming of Christ into this world. In Epiphany, we celebrate the life of Christ. How he lives, what he says, what he reveals to us about God. So that our damaged receptors might begin to be healed. We might know God and see God and understand God as he truly is. One of the books that had great influence on me in seminary was A.W. Tozer's little volume, The Knowledge of the Holy, and describing attributes of God. And he begins that book with this sentence. Whatever comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Whatever comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think he's right. Everything of life comes out of our view of God. Our priorities, our motivation, our relationships. Everything about our lives comes back to our view of God. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about someone who is fully committed to being a disciple of Christ... Or someone who has declared themselves to be an atheist. In the very act of declaring themselves to be an atheist, they are rejecting God. And so therefore, their thoughts of God are directing how they live their lives. And the world, you look back on how, how people and groups of people, our, our images of God, our understandings of God have shaped how we've treated other people. How we've lived out our lives, our priorities, our motivations, everything about us. And one of the great, the great question of life is, what is God like? It is so central to our understanding of how to live to understand what God is like. And Epiphany tells us that God is continually revealing Himself in Christ, this perfect picture of what God is like. And so over the course of the next few weeks, I want to think about some of the some of the door images in Scripture. That help us understand a little bit more of what God is like as he reveals himself to us. Through the ages, ultimately in Jesus. Today I want to begin with this passage in John 10. I just want to, just very briefly, talk about one part of it. There's a whole lot of things we could talk about here. But Jesus says... In verse 6, he says, he's talking to them about being the shepherd of the sheep. They didn't quite get it. They didn't understand it. So he gives them another metaphor. And he says, I am the door to the sheep. Some translations have gate. It means gate, door, same thing. I am the door for the sheep. And there are a lot of things we could talk about related to what that means. But what struck me as I was pondering this passage and and reading on as to what what Jesus is saying. He says that he's the door of the sheep. And and because he's the door, the sheep go in and out in freedom and find nourishment. And he goes on in verses 9 and 10 and says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I come so that you might have life. And not just any life, but abundant life. When Jesus talks about being the door, I think one of the things that is forefront about that is that he comes to set us free. He comes to to call us to be people who live lives of freedom, to go in and out and find nourishment Now you would think as as the door, as the sheep are coming in and out, there's risk involved in that. And there is risk involved in it. But freedom always involves risk. If you don't have risk, you don't really have freedom. Because you have control. And too often the church has not communicated clearly enough, in my mind, the freedom that is ours in Christ. The church has often tried to control people. We've created rules... And said, these rules are, well, we don't say this with our words, but underneath them we are saying, these rules are more important than Jesus is. Obeying these rules is what makes you a believer. Obeying these rules is what is most important. And, the, and it's not that the rules are necessarily wrong. We've just changed the focus. The focus is no longer on Christ who reveals to us who God is. It's on our desire to want to control Christ and to control the kingdom because we like to control things. And Jesus keeps telling us, I want to set you free. I want you to live in freedom. Too often, the way the Christian life is described for us it feels more like bondage than freedom and we hear Jesus talking here and in other places it's about freedom one of the issues we have is that we tend to think of freedom as I do whatever I want when I want where I want and we think freedom is about me it's all about what I get it's a very self-centered mindset I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the kind of freedom that allows us to let go of our lives. The kind of freedom that trusts him enough to say, I can give myself away. I can love whether I'm loved in return or not. I can give, I can hold the things that I have lightly. And that's freedom. If you know of anyone who is a hoarder, I don't think anyone would say they are they're living in freedom. In fact, their whole life is wrapped around trying to keep what they have. And trying to keep getting more of it and protecting it and holding on to it. It's not freedom, that's bondage. And Jesus says, that's not the life I have for you. My life for you is about freedom. It's about letting go. It's about giving yourself away. And how do we do that? Why would we do that? Because quite frankly, in human nature, it doesn't make any sense to give ourselves away. That's not how we naturally think. Naturally, we think, I've got to protect myself. We can give ourselves away because the one who says, I am the door, is also the one who says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And that changes the picture. We are not letting go of our lives and giving up, losing. We're letting go of our lives for Christ to fill us. We can give ourselves away because we know we're loved by the one who willingly gave his life for us. Who loves us unconditionally. Who is for us and with us, and nothing will ever change that. And when you know that kind of security, you can give yourself away. Because whatever you give away can't compare to what we are getting from Christ. And I think God would love to see His church to see his church be people who are so enamored with Christ the door and the freedom and the life that is ours in him that we, are, we become people who have a reputation for giving ourselves away. Freedom. Freedom to love. Freedom to care. Freedom to feel compassion. Freedom. And that's why we come to this table today. Because at this table, we come face to face with the broken body and the shed blood of Christ who gave his life for us. At this table, we encounter Christ who has willingly given himself. Out of love for us, He has given Himself so that He can change us and transform us and fill us so that we can now live in freedom. We come to this table and find a new image of who God is and what God is like as the lover of our souls. As the shepherd of the sheep, the good shepherd who lays down his life for us. That is the kind of God that Jesus reveals to every one of us. And at this table, we come and we find grace. At this table, we come and we find love. At this table we come and we find freedom. At this table we come and we find challenge. We find truth. We come to this table thinking sometimes we are looking for God when all the while he is seeking us and desiring us. In the problem of pain, Lewis wrote, uh, I've come to believe that The world exists not so that we can love God, but so that God can love us. And I'm convinced if that truth can get into us, it will set us free. And we will be people who live in the joy and the life and the nourishment of that freedom so whether you have been a believer for a few months or decades hear God's call to release your false images of God to receive the love that's ours in Christ and to let him set you free And if you have not yet made that step of following Christ and trusting Christ, he is calling you, calling you to freedom and to joy and to life. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. for all that you have given to us done for us poured out upon us in Christ forgive us for the times when we feel more secure in our own in the bondage of our own ways than in the freedom of your love Open our eyes to your loving and gracious invitation. We pray, Father, that you will pour out the abundance of your blessing on the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. Let it be food for our souls Let your spirit speak deeply into our beings that we might gain a clearer, truer understanding of who you are and of what you desire for us. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.